tell you, I don't care what they call me. They can call me a Marxist, a Jesuit, a flat earther, a Trotskyite, a vegetarian. I don't care what I'm called. Because I know why they call us names. It's because they dare not face to the Most Moderate Podcast, a platform for internationalist perspectives on global issues and world federalist politics in particular. I'm Brandon, coming to you from the United States, and I'm joined by Miguel in Spain. Hello. And Alex and Esten in Germany. Hello. Hi, everyone. And before we get started properly on this episode, I would like to just go ahead and dedicate this episode to uh, Maureen Kakoan. Uh, the UK's first openly lesbian member of parliament. She passed at the age of 92, a mere few months after her uh, decades-long partner, uh, Babs, also passed at the beginning of this uh, epidemic, uh, or pandemic, I should say. Maureen was a tireless campaigner for women's and queer rights, and she represented Northampton North during her five years in parliament in the 1970s. She was outed by... A repeat uh, player in today's episode, the Daily Mail, and uh, in Parliament and outside of Parliament, she fought for uh, abortion access, gender equ- equality, and protections for sex workers. She defeated attempts within the Labour Party to marginalize her and to unseat her. And after she lost uh, her election against the Conservative Party. She courageously faced discrimination in multiple roles roles she played within British society. Rest in power, Maureen. In today's new segment, we'll discuss our takes on stonks and uh, r slash Wall Street bets. And then in our main segment, we'll talk about various trends in pan-European, European nationalist uh, intellectual thought. Now, going on to the fucking news... Alex, I believe you have an explanation of the GameStop phenomenon? Yeah, I wouldn't call it an explanation. It's more of uh, <laughs> all the information I could get from digging inside r slash Wall Street bets and uh, reading up on what's the stock market doing in general. So I think mm-hmm. first on we should uh, discuss a few uh, words or a bit of terminology so we uh, have a common ground we can talk about. So the first one I want to talk about is what even is a short. So um, most likely you guys know that uh, at the stock market, there are stocks traded and Mm -hmm. you can believe that a stock is going to increase its value or decrease its value. So if you you think it's going to increase its value, you're going to buy it. You buy a stock maybe for $50 and... Uh, sell it at a hundred dollars and you get a, a profit from uh, of fifty dollars so that's in easy terms how it's how it works so what you want to do if uh, you think a stock is going to decrease in value um there's a there's a mechanism inside the stock trading that's called shorting stocks it means that you believe the stock is overvalued and so you borrow them from someone pay a little fee and go on and sell it to a third party. So after uh, the stock has decreased in value, you buy it back and have the excess of money on your side. And after the contract for the uh, borrowing for borrowing the stocks runs out, you have to buy them back. 
and uh, give back give them back to the person you borrowed them uh, from and um, so with that yeah. it's if the price has gone down like you're betting you make uh the difference but if it goes up you have to pay the person you borrowed it from the difference so uh, no, say, you have to uh, pay the uh, person you you sold it to um, the mm -hmm. difference. So if you yes. a person A lends some stocks to person B, and person B is the one shorting them uh, or mm -hmm. wants to short them, so uh, he goes on and sells them to C, and C is lucky, and the stock, um, in contrary to the bet uh, B took. Uh, rises in in value so uh, now uh, B is obligated to buy the bag because ultimately right. he has to give the bag to person A and uh, so in this case uh, person C is the one profiting from uh, the fr from the set uh, from selling his uh, stocks Operation. at a higher value right okay Thank you for that. This is super, this is super easy to follow. I think I'm about to get yeah. in on this and start doing some options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the problem, problem is, and I think we're gonna talk about this later. But um, you, you know, the uh, borders towards insider trading here are pretty fluid. Um, mm -hmm. uh, as far as I know, um, there's uh, at, on the w website of the SEC there is uh, somewhat transparent. Um, yeah um list of what's uh, what options are traded and it's got to be uh, um actualized every friday at the end of uh yeah when the bell at the stock strings mm. so um you by really monitoring this website you could um have some luck and do some insider trading but you know um i'm not sure if you could even call that insider trading because you're not really an insider and the right. information you need Th are that would be uh, publicly available information. Yeah. Insider trading is, uh, say, you know, we had a scandal with some Congress members who got uh, a couple months ago who were, had a national security briefing, and they used the information from that to sell stocks that they had in businesses that would be affected before they crashed, right? And that would be insider trading. You're, uh, yeah, that happens all using, the time with politicians. Yeah, so you're using, you know, information that's not available to the public to make your deals. And so politicians do it all the time. But also established hedge funds do it all the time. It's If you're established, you're more likely going to get away with it. If you're rising up, you know. It's like the same so people, anyways. though. Those established hedge funds and the, and the polit politicians, you know, a lot of times there's, it's a bit of a revolving door. But... Absolutely. So I believe there's more to this, uh, Alex. Yeah, of, of course, because uh, now we need to find out what uh, r slash Wall Street bets wanted to do, and what they tried to do is uh, is called squeezing a short. Uh, mm -hmm. So, as I already said, they knew that uh, in this case, Mel uh, Citadel Capital, uh, Capital and Melvin Capital needed to buy back um, GameStop stocks in order to cover uh, the shorts they wanted to bet on, and. Yeah, that means uh, that in order, if you want to squeeze the short, you need to uh, uh, increase the value of said stock. So uh, the uh, person in our example from earlier, person B, when the day comes that, that they need to buy back the stocks, um, they have to pay an increased margin. So um, what uh, r slash Wall Street bets essentially try to do is uh, buying large volumes of 
stocks, namely uh, GameStop stocks, uh, AMC Entertainment stocks, Bed Bath and Beyond, and a few others, BlackBerry, uh, <laughs> Nokia. There were a few um, that were in in discussion at least. And companies yeah, expected they... to take a fall in the upcoming time span. Exactly. So the hedge funds uh, had a bet going on um, that basically said that those stocks would uh, decrease in value and because everyone now bought these stocks um, the the price of uh, of course increased because uh, price is made through um, offer, what's it called in English? Offer and uh, demand, demand I think. Demand and offer? Supply and demand, yeah. Supply, Supply and yeah. demand. Thank you. Here. So what we saw is a sharp price increase. I'm going to talk more in detail about this in a minute. And uh, so the hedge funds or the shorters in general lose money, um, which those that squeeze the short uh, gain. Um, what we want to look at now is what really happened. So uh, the first post I found on r slash Wall Street Bets was from uh, 28th of November in 2020. Uh, where you slash snackers12345 uh, had brought up the first post about the potential squeeze, referencing the uh, Volkswagen squeeze from 2008. And this post, I want to track this here a bit, uh, had uh, 57 upvotes and 76 comments, which is really not a lot. At this time, the stock was valued at $15.29. Um, Citadel Capital, as I already mentioned, had a lot of the alleged short position at the time. And we have to move on. And the first explanation for what's going to happen uh, was posted for, by U slash CA, I imagine California, Google Poker, uh, on 19th of December in 2020. And uh, this post gained more traction. It had 130 comments. And most people that looked into it confirmed what uh, Google Poker mainly said, because uh, which was the opportunity for a short squeeze. So on moving on, then there was Christmas and every, everything died down a bit. But on 13th uh, of January, January in 2021, uh, the, the sharp price increase of the uh, GameStop stock uh, started. Uh, simultaneously, the r slash Wall Street bet subscriber crowd went through the roof from like 2 million to today it's uh, 8 million. And a lot of uh, people heard of what was going on. So um, what then happened is uh, the, the moment where I see the revolutionary potential from a leftist perspective, of course, because uh, Robinhood, uh, which is inside Wall Street Bets, a very popular uh, trading app because it's mostly free. Um, not just Robinhood, but also other online broker services uh, services halted the option to buy GME uh, GameStop stocks on 28th of uh, January in 2021. Uh, so that meant that uh, the free market wasn't so free anymore because after some phone calls and stuff that was going on. Um, Robinhood just uh, made it impossible to the uh, small investors to, yeah, buy the stocks they wanted. Yeah, and while the while the hedge funds could sell in the off. Exactly, the they they didn't want to increase the price uh, further because uh, allegedly uh, Citadel Capital lost around thirty percent of its net worth uh, in this whole ordeal. 
mistaken, uh, Citadel Capital has a participation in Robin Hood, so maybe there were some shenanigans oh, no going way. on there. Yeah, I yeah, think but so. I, I think. I, I, and I doesn't Robin Hood sell the data? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that I think the financial I'm gonna, data I'm gonna open this up for a discussion in a moment, but it's exactly <laughs> the point I want to discuss here. Um, but let me just uh, finish the uh, the whole ordeal because I just want to say um, that the stock has fallen the last uh, weeks uh, since the 28th of January, January, um, and now I got this these numbers from two hours ago. It's only at fifty three dollars and fifty cents. So the last point I, I want to make here, <laughs> yeah, as, as Wall Street bets uh, would say, everyone got paper hands and uh, sold their stocks instead of keeping diamond hands and uh, keeping mm, no. the stocks. I like the what is no. it? Uh, gorillas, apes together, strong. The reference. Yeah, was. apes together. Strong. <laughs> Thanks together to the moon. I, uh, to be honest, I'm not really affiliated with anything that has to do with stocks or trading stocks. But um, as an outsider, the the subreddit r slash Wall Street bets most mostly because of its memes looks really entertaining. So uh, I can really feel that community. Yeah. Um, although I of course have some ideological, um, yeah, there are some drawbacks there. <laughs> Okay, right. I just want to uh, give a few reactions and retaliations that came along with the um, sure. with the yeah. uh, alleged collusion between uh, uh, Melvin Capital and Melvin Capital, Citadel Capital, and the Robin Hood app, um, which is first uh, a letter from Elizabeth Warren to the SEC. Uh, it's five pages long, and most of it are uh, footnotes, so there isn't really much going on there. <laughs> uh, but what, uh, yeah, what what made me curious was one sentence where Elizabeth Warren called the actions going on inside Wall Street bets as a flash mob with money. Um, she is ultimately criticizing both uh, the shorting hedge funds and the small private investors. But mm. uh, to be honest, I feel like the um, it's a shift in in perception as as far as the hedge funds uh, should be able to take a loss too. And right now there is um, there's a multitude of, uh, of uh, what's called in, in America. Let me, let me re- uh, look that up real quick. It's uh, class action lawsuits. Right. Um, there are a, a few class action lawsuits going on uh, against uh, the Robin Hood app because of uh, the collusion between them and the hedge funds. Uh, it's I just looked it up. It's 34 uh, different separate uh, class action lawsuits, and the first one is from 28th, and it was instigated by uh, a Robin Hood customer that was also active in uh, r slash Wall Street bets. Mm. Um, the most like uh, mostly the letter on from uh, of Elizabeth Warren and the reactions of the uh, hedge funds were calling for more regulations, but ironically for more regulations on the small investors instead of uh, regulations for the hedge funds. And that's where Funny I want how that works. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know. Um, my, I've got a pretty libertarian friend on uh, Facebook. I had a few, uh, a few um, 
what's what's it called in English? I don't know. Um, I have a, few, a bit of stuff going on at my university with him. Uh, mostly, uh, mostly uh, uh, some stuff where we discussed about uh, literature. And he, as I said, he is pretty libertarian, and he often quotes um, Friedrich Hayek. Oh. Uh, most famously or the quote quote he mostly likes is uh that established capitalists hate capitalism um hinting at that the mar market isn't so free as it's uh sold to us and of course i have my own objections to friedrich hayek um but another point is i couldn't find this uh quote online so i'm not really sure if it's even correct so um, <laughs> Well, that's half what libertarians quote. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's, like it's, how many like Aji Thomas Jefferson quotes I see coming from <laughs> libertarian yeah. groups. Uh, but yeah, uh, so what was uh, your libertarian uh, person talking about? Uh, uh, yeah, most, what was their about, take on this? Uh, his take was mainly that uh, it's of course the state uh, that ruins everything here because mm -hmm. if the state wouldn't move in and put regulations on the market, everything would be okay, which mm. clearly isn't like that because yeah, it's there not are... like monopoly capitalism's been a thing since like eighteen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are um, inside leftist theory. There are a few <laughs> talking points on why uh, state-mandated regulation on markets is uh, severely needed. Um, mm -hmm. starting at uh, the abolition of child work inside mines in uh, in what's going on here? My my window is closing. Sorry, guys. Uh, I hope <laughs> you don't hear that right now. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, as I as I said, um, there are a few free market capitalism, <laughs> mainly um, the abolition in, of. Um, child labor in the industrial age in England back then. Um, also, the um, some regulations on work time, like uh, if you look back on um, 17th or 18th and 19th century uh, England, where people were working 12 to 16 hours in factories, uh, which has been ended through um, regulations that uh, the state ultimately brought. So there are a few um, few instances that where can where we can show that a completely free market is just exploitative in nature towards those that aren't in power so um moving on here i want to quote a few paragraphs from a post on r slash wall street bets called an open letter to melvin capital cnbc boomers and wall street bets um which resonated very well with me uh, starting with i quote here I was in my early teens during the 08 crisis. I vividly remember the enormous repercussions that the reckless actions by those on Wall Street had on my personal life and the life of those close to me. I was fortunate. My parents were prudent and a little paranoid and they had some food storage saved up. When the crisis hit our family, we were able to keep our little house, but we lived off pancake mix and powdered milk and beans and rice for a year. Ever since then, my parents have kept a food storage and they kept it updated and fresh. Those close to me, my friends and extended family were not nearly as fortunate. My aunt moved in with us and paid that little rent she could to my family while she tried to find any sort of work. Do you know what tomato soup made out of school cafeteria ketchup packet tastes like? My friends got to find out. So you, you see that there is clearly even uh, at those that voluntarily uh, 
uh, take part in the higher forms of, of capitalist exploitation and try to make their life on their own uh, are fed up with the system as it's currently established. And here I want to discuss with you guys uh, what's your take on the whole ordeal and uh, the way you see things. I got a lot of thoughts, so you guys might want to go first. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. I thought so. <laughs> Just tell me. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll begin, I, I guess. Uh, at first, I was like kind of excited uh, because, you know, it seemed like this had some potential to really hurt some not great people. Uh, but I guess ever since I have sort of down on it and now uh, I don't really have a major take here, which I know is disappointing, but you know, what can you do? Sometimes, sometimes it happens. <laughs> uh, I guess that one thing that I find interesting is that we have seen that in the past few days that there's potential for coordinated action through the internet against established interests. Uh, maybe mm. it should have been a bit more coordinated. Uh, maybe that's where things broke down this particular occasion. But I guess it's kind of like uh, we have like we have found the lightning and now we have to find a way to keep the fire going in some way, if that makes mm, sense. Maybe. So yeah, that's my that's my view. Okay, mustache. Mustache. Mustache <laughs> You also have a mustache? What the hell? I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how revolutionary it was. I, there was a lot of like mm. funny or the potential of it, to be honest. There was a lot of funny memes about about that about leftists or progressives or whatever saying like this is the few this is the start you know people are gonna wake up mm -hmm. and then a lot of people <laughs> just saying like no people trying to make money um, yeah not it's... so i don't know it's a debatable thing it's the same thing that went in with the with the coup attempt mm -hmm. there was a lot of people saying like ah this is the working class and they're just misguided but they're if we just give them a couple more books on theory i saw those comments yeah <laughs> i feel attacked right now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like a few weeks ago, I had a discussion on uh, the on the police being part of the proletariat and as insofar being uh, integral part to the proletarian revolution. And it's kind of a hot take again, but um, it's close to uh, the argument that the people storming the capital are um, essentially misguided in their ideological view. Mm. Well. I'm, I'm not going to touch that one with a mild long stick. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, the, it was quite bewildering watching this unfold on tw like left Twitter. Um, like I was sort of familiar with Wall Street bets. You know, I always assigned like in my mind, I was like, oh, you know, it's the guys who like post pictures and like. I'm ready to go grind, you know, that kind of stuff. So super cringe. And like the last place I'd expect for any leftist to cheerlead. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a subreddit. You know, we have a nice subreddit with the YWF, but that's rare. You know, subreddits, you know, Reddit in general attracts uh, like a certain demographic. It's, yeah. You know, attracts a certain demographic, right? Um, that's not conducive to just progressive politics not socialist politics right um and so immediately i'm hearing about it and i'm like i'm skeptical right um uh, and just kept really i'm more responding to takes about wall street bets than i am about wall street bets right i think you know 
what we see is just the a natural progression of like middle class angst uh since like as that post uh demonstrated uh from the recession of uh the you know the middle class has been squeezed and squeezed and now some you know and some uh portions of the working class i'll grant have had access to some discretionary money right and now they're just venting it um and you know what fuck the hedge funds i don't care but i uh, i'm not going to support a little capitalist over a big capitalist a capitalist is a capitalist in my mind at least uh it's so yeah so in my mind it's just fundamentally i'm like a pox on both your houses this isn't my fight but you know there's some interesting arguments uh, going back and um and so i would not say there's really revolutionary uh potential in this right but there were some interesting of uh you know especially with the collusion with robin hood and these hedge funds or alleged i'll say uh in that's you know, it revealed to some more naive operators that, hey, you don't live in free market capitalism. That's a myth. And guess what? It doesn't matter. They don't care if you want to be a capitalist or not. You know, they're going to exclude you. Uh, yeah. what, whatever. Right. The thing is, is sure, there's a value in that, you know, a myth of capitalism is being exposed the problem is is the sh left particularly in america is not strong enough to counter signal right so the way i see it is the main reaction is going to be hey we need free market capitalism uh, when you know that idea is just as utopian as socialism but with like much dire uh consequences for the working class uh so yeah i, I think this if we had a vibrant left movement, one, this probably wouldn't happen. But two, if it did, we'd have more of an opportunity to like actually get across a message instead of people posting uh, about it. And, uh, you know, oh, I think it was, uh, oh, I, I can't remember what politician uh, or political figure uh, tweeted it, but it was, uh, hey, uh, Wall Street bets, have you heard of socialism or anything? <laughs> So cringe. Um, there was this meme going on of Karl Marx, um, and the caption was, uh, you, you like to see uh, a hedge fund manager bleeding? Boy, do I have an ideology for you. Which, <laughs> yeah, put it into a nice frame. And it's uh, right. uh, why I just want to um, finish by taking my uh, giving my take here. Oh, I still is... have another take. One second. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, I, 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 I got a direct. Note. Nice. Oh my god. <laughs> I took like notes. a lot of notes. Um, <laughs> Three no, pages. But, uh, the, the take I uh, can offer here is um, inspired by Slavoj Žižek, uh, who says that people lack the necessary language to express their unfreedom, uh, which mm. is exactly what I see happening here. They mm. uh, have this ominous feeling of something isn't right and I'm not being treated fairly in comparison uh, comparison to uh, those hedge fund managers, uh, what's going on here. And we need, or for a more progressive, um, for more pro progressive policy inside the US and also worldwide, we need uh, moments where this ominous feeling crystallizes out. And that's what I see here. Um, like in the moment where there might happen a shift in power and 
when I say power, I mean monetary power here. Uh, the state and the established capitalists, also big capitalists, um, work together to yeah, not lose their position. And that's uh, what I hope the people could see here. And if more of those moments where this ominous feeling crystallizes out into something more manifest, into something more uh, that people can actually uh, see, not just feel, but uh, really see, um, then I feel like um, the door gets open for more progressive takes on politics. Right. Well, so, yeah, that's I think you're... I mean, that's... that's I, You're optimistic, I would say. You're pretty optimistic. Yeah, 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 I know. Right. I, I would... It should be. I mean, they do, I agree with the uh, analysis. I mean, that they do, that they don't really understand, or that there's not a, there's not a deep understanding um, uh, ideology of which to frame all of these events. Uh, it is sort of, it's, and then it does lead a lot of these people towards apathy uh, mm-hmm. and like kind of you know, putting up their hands and saying, I don't know what to do about this. It's unfair, but there's nothing we can do. Yeah, well, so I, I think you're right. There isn't that, I th- or I think Zizak is right, right? There isn't that, uh, a lot of people don't have that language to express those feelings, particularly among the working class, right? Um, you know, the left has been battered for 50 years now, and it's like a shambling corpse uh, across the world, to be honest. Um, and to the point where, like, the question of do we even have a left left it is quite genuine, and I think we don't talk about enough. Um, the thing is, is, you know, quite a large bit of the working class cannot express their frustrations right and the we have the middle class being squeezed uh and you know the middle class has a much more heightened uh perception of class politics than the working class and the poor ever do and i think you know that's where we get you know the coup attempt or whatever we want to call it coming from right you have these small business owners who feel uh squished uh you have your suburban uh soccer moms wanting to play you know american revolutionary but like they're sweeping up like genuine like just working class people and it's because we don't have that left alternative hammering home class issues um not as if like just doing that would win, right? That's not exactly happened before, but at least it gives an alternative to people, which I don't think we have at this uh, juncture. Um, and so, it one of the things that you know, someone tweeted it, uh, but you know, overnight we went from mocking Robin Hood and like its mission statement to cheering it on, uh, and and I I think that's cringe to say the least right um you know even if small retail investors could compete freely in the stock market it only results in a larger role for little capitalists in in a uh, oppressing the working class and i i don't see that as much more uh beneficial than uh than you know trying to build a working class alternative uh i i think this is primarily, you know, a revolt of the middle class uh, and of privileged uh, stratum of the working class against, you know, the stock market, which is cool. Fuck Wall Street. But I think there has to be something more than so. Yeah. Unless you, you anyone hate, I, uh, for this, 
for this? Did you see the ads on Reddit for the this what is what happened? These, uh, what happened on on Tuesday yeah. by Robin Hood? Yeah, these, uh, yeah Robin Hood was... with white. Yeah, yeah. They put a lot of money into getting this on everybody's Reddit feed. I don't know if you guys saw it. Uh, I'm nope. barely on Reddit. Oh, <laughs> it, it's such a cursed place. <laughs> it's not as bad as 4chan, but like I'm, I can almost function better when they're like explicit neo Nazis. Uh, oh, but anyway. okay. <laughs> Um, we don't need to get it. That's a different topic. Well, not that bit. it. No, well, just to explain it, I'm not going to put this in the podcast, right? <laughs> I monitor those chats, right? I'm interested in seeing what they're doing. Okay, now I can finally see this. Okay. Uh, so I think that's interesting. Um, when it's just like soft, like lib takes and, and you know, things that it honestly irritates me a tad more. Because um, at least I'm like, oh, I'm screenshotting this you know, we're going to dox this person. I at least have that emotional grand thing when dealing. Okay. So moving on to the main topic of this episode. Now I'm just obsessed with your Reddit feed. This is the, uh, this is the, this is the lefty left starter pack. It's uh, 34 communities. It's, it's uh, Lennon's second cat. You oh, check, it out. check out left starter pack. It's great. I follow I, all these. I will. I'll be. Uh, I'll hate every second of it. Okay. The live stream real quick. What? Doesn't open for me. I. I'm just trying to open Aston's live stream because <laughs> I. I can't see it right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it. It took a minute or two for it to load up for me. Oh, All right. Okay, okay. So I'm just going to be in, entertained while I'm reading. <laughs> All oh, right. Sorry. I'll go back to the. Oh, memes are ideology. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's body shaming i'm pretty sure oh it it's in love okay so the main topic of discussion tonight is, or today i should say is you know pan-european sentiment european nationalism the whole shebang uh, and the concept of a united european state has been bandied about since about the napoleonic age this idea has energized various intellectual trends across a political spectrum. One of the earliest tracks along this line of thought comes from the Polish scientist Wojciech Jastrzębowski in 1831, who penned, in quotes, about the everlasting peace between the nations in which he called for a European constitutional republic without internal borders. Similar ideas in concordance with their worldviews have been advocated by diverse figures like Trotsky, Churchill, and the piece of shit Oswald Mosley. May he rest in piss. <laughs> the, the title of this episode is Europe United, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, in that spirit, I'll start this discussion with, in my view, the good visions of a united Europe. So, let's begin with the most famous ice pick recipient of the 20th century, Leon Trotsky, who said in an interview with the American journalist John Reed shortly before the October Revolution. Side note, uh, this is from 10 Days That Shook the World. If you haven't read that book, you can get it free on Marxist.org. It's terrific. Link will be in the show notes. But uh, this is, uh, like I said, oh boy, you had to pull them up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't put them in the show notes just because like they're kind of amorphous, but yeah, I hate them. <laughs> um, so this is Leon Trotsky speaking to uh, John Reed. Our first act will be to call for an immediate armistice 
on all fronts and a conference of peoples to discuss the democratic peace terms. The quantity of democracy we get in the peace settlement depends on the quantity of revolutionary response there is in Europe. If we create here a government of the Soviets, in English, Soviets as workers' councils, that will be a powerful factor for immediate peace in Europe, for this government will address itself directly and immediately to all peoples over the heads of their governments, proposing an armistice. At the moment of the conclusion of peace, the pressure of the Russian Revolution will be in the direction of no annexations, no indemnities, and the rightest self-determination of peoples, and a federated republic of Europe. At the end of this war, I see Europe recreated, not by diplomats, but by the proletariat, the working class, the federated republic of Europe, the United States of Europe, that is what must be. National autonomy no longer suffices. Economic evolution demands the abolition of national frontiers. If Europe is to remain split into national groups, then imperialism will recommence its work. Only a federated republic of Europe can give peace to the world. He smiled, that fine, faintly ironic smile of his. But without the action of the European masses, these ends cannot be realized now. So Trotsky just air horns, eh, 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 uh, just straight fire. Uh, I, I'm not a Trotskyist, right? I'm sympathetic. Uh, Trotskyite. Well, that's derogatory. Uh, so I'm not a trot. Uh, I don't sell newspapers. I, I don't do much more than that. But I don't sell Did newspapers. Uh, I think you know this quote reveals quite a bit about uh, the pre-revolution. Uh, Bolshevik vision for Europe and the world more generally. We have to keep in mind that the social democratic movement uh, that resulted... Wait. <laughs> I messed that up. Uh, so we have to keep in mind the split in the social democratic movement that birthed the communist movement was over the social democratic uh, decision to support the imperialist uh, First World War. Especially by a critic of Trotskyism, I'm right. Uh, fuck, dude! I thought I, I thought I, I thought I was right with Trotskyite. I always thought I was so cool with that. No, Excuse it's me. derogatory. Right. Sorry, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll... <laughs> uh, Okay. It so following from that idea, right? The the Bolsheviks split from the Social Democrats over the issue of the First World War. It makes sense. Their first goal is going to be an end to the war, right? Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, it was the main goal. One of the main goals of the revolution was to simply end the war. Uh, the pre previous revolution in February, uh, under the provisional government of Kerensky, failed in this aim of the Russian people in ending the war. And that was the major seed in uh, the sailors rising up against uh, the Kerensky government and quite a bit of the masses as well. Uh, What's interesting, uh, more so to me, is this uh, this quote reveals a world that just wasn't, right? Uh, Trotsky, you know, correctly uh, anticipates that, hey, if we have a revolution here, other places are going to try to, which bore out in our history. Uh, the Germans had a failed revolution. Uh, the Hungarians had a failed revolution. Bavaria tried it all their own. It didn't work. 
Italy had the Red Summer. Uh, even here in America, we had a, uh, you misspelled common turn, uh, had a miss, uh, adventure here in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, this upsurge really? happened. Oh yeah. Green corn rebellion. Look it up. It was basically drunk farmers who got together. And we're going to march on Washington. <laughs> so it was basically our capital coup, but for the left, um, yeah, it, it was rad. Uh, and so like this surge happened, but it didn't succeed anywhere else right and part of what the bolsheviks were tr were aiming for was a uh into the war right and as they say it but not through like the diplomats but through the people right uh going back to the founding of the socialist mo movement you know it's in uh our famous hymn the internationale you know the th the third stanza is uh dedicated to We'll shoot the generals on our own side, right? Uh, that the idea that the working class will turn imperialist wars into the class war. Uh, that didn't happen, and it's not happened since, right? Uh, but that was what the Bolsheviks were really hoping for, and they almost had it. But with the failures of this revolutionary upheaval, uh, one, it came too late in most of the world, right? Uh Russia had to sue for peace immediately. It was in the midst of a civil war. Uh, and so the Soviet Union was forced into an uneasy peace. Before this, the Germans agreed uh, to the Russian demands of uh, no indemnities or debts, right? And no annexation. Um, and what was a bit more controversial is Germany was going to hold the russian empire to the uh right to the self-determination of nations right uh parts of the soviet union didn't like that but uh it was a moot point uh but the germany in particular demanded that the entente powers uh also agree to those demands right and we all know the fucking french were not going <laughs> to agree to not uh not uh make some money off the germans after the first world war and so uh the the soviets entered an uneasy peace and then a year later germany lost the war uh, and so of course uh, alsace lorraine uh, was annexed and there's severe indemnities uh placed on the new german republic and so the soviet union due to the lingering effects of civil war invasion, isolation, succumb to the horrors of Stalinism. It also takes little imagination to envision Germany that wasn't burdened by annexation or indemnities, burning a sh birthing a shining beacon of democracy instead of fascist terror. You know, it's when you look at Weimar Germany for all its faults, right, was still the most progressive government we had had until like the 70s when it comes to women's rights, when it comes to queer rights. In so many ways, uh, Weimar Germany was progressive, right? But then it also had this crazy right wing that, uh, you know, had power in government institutions and, you know, things like that. Uh, and they had this motivating myth of being stabbed in the back and, you know, having a revonkist uh, tendency. Uh, and... So this tendency for a European social 
European federalism built on like working class lines is still going on today. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. But what's y'all's takes so far? Well, concerning uh, Germany and the Weimar Republic, um, I just want to say that uh, there's going on for the last hundred years, there's been going on a discussion about uh, German culture uh, towards uh, political systems, uh, which mostly states uh, that although we don't have a monarchy anymore, uh, Germans like to vote for a monarch again. Like uh, if you look at the uh, at the periods that we had the same chancellor, um, it's a, there were long times like Helmut Kohl was a chancellor for 16 years. Angela Merkel now has been a chancellor for um, 16 years well, and 16. 16, right? Yeah. Um, not not yet, but she will be. She was voted in uh, into parliament <laughs> in 2005, if I remember correctly, or 2007, um, something I... like that. She has been in in, uh, in her place for well over 10 years, which is yeah, in modern terms speaking, a very long time. So um, there's definitely this undercurrent of um, of German culture, which favors stability over uncertainty. I believe. And so, we call it. Is there a term for that in in English? Uh, in German, we call it the Merkel Raute. Yeah, no, we call it the Merkel as well. It's uh, what do you call traditionally the what? Raute. Raute. It's. Uh, I so, think it's uh, based on the mathematical figure of a. I don't know if it's called rhombus. Yeah. Um, Oh really? Yeah, it's uh, Raute is another word for rom like rhombus. Like a dry, like a dry echo, but different. No, okay. no, no, no. Uh, like, give, give me a second. I can show you insights. Okay. My, English. My... In English, it's it's not associated with that. The Merkel is a, you know, with your hand, you know, things in an intellectual study. It's a version of a front cage. Why do you have a book Merkel of rhombuses? Uh, <laughs> it's not a book of rhombuses. It's uh, basically a book on everything that has to do with natural sciences, like... Uh, yeah, there's some chemistry in here as well, and uh, some physics and stuff. So, yeah. so um, the Merkel is because, a so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Merkel. So, so <laughs> yes, but I'm so the Merkel is a variation of a front cage uh, in you know American rhetoric, right? But what's interesting yeah. is since uh, Angela Merkel is so short, uh, she holds it abnormally high, and that's what gives it its weird look you know it's supposed to be a very loose uh look and very casual okay that's funny uh, a very casual uh down by your waist but she holds it up near her uh near her breast basically uh, and to make her seem <laughs> taller it it's quite strange but it's iconic and you'll i you see it all the time now and I'll strike the Merkel occasionally. I I love it. It's great. Um, I think she's great. I mean, at least the part where she comes, from, how she's smart, and how she came from East Germany, and uh, I, her story is pretty interesting. Whether you, yeah. I think that that's. I mean, her politics even, suck, in my opinion. Even but she belongs well, maybe, to the conservative but how party. I I think she is a great politician. Uh, for uh, for real, I'm not no cap here. Um, she. <laughs> Uh, in 2013, she was uh, voted, uh, or she had a coalition together with the FDP, FDP, uh, which mm -hmm. is the Liberal Party in Germany, and uh, the uh, head of the FDP, uh, Guido Westerwelle at the time, uh, 
came into trouble when he uh, when he traveled to South America with some um, yeah big capitalists and it struck big waves inside the media reception and stuff. And from that day on, uh, she had to take care of um, international politics as well. And I, from that day on, I see her rise as this great mother of Europe. As uh, of course, we have to say here that uh, Germany is so great in Europe because others are exploited so much, especially in Spain. I think uh, we talked about last episode <laughs> with Miguel. Um, so, but uh, she's got some calmness that keeps uh, this band of boys that are the other uh, leaders in Europe together. And I really appreciate her for that because uh, the uh, internal European peace is uh, some is one of the greatest advances in humankind I've seen in the last 100 years. Yeah, I she definitely represents the left of her party. Um, yeah, yeah, and. For sure. I mean, I still think her I still think her uh, politics suck, uh, and I think uh, her party's politics, particularly on refugees, is getting worse. Uh, so, uh, and so I'm not going to endorse Angela Merkel, uh, but also I can't honestly relate, right? We just I just lived under Donald Trump, so yeah, she does look good in comparison. Yeah. Um, I mean, even relative so, to Biden, I mean, I would probably take Merkel. I mean, I would take most European leaders we, over Biden. I would take in, in yes. 2015 when no uh, or most other European countries weren't uh, ready to take in refugees from uh, Syria when the civil war there broke out or also fueled by uh, the advances of ISIS. Um, she was the first one that says uh, uh, that said. We, we take in refugees, we see the humanitarian catastrophe and um, at the time I, I uh, or my best friend and me at the time, uh, we were, uh, we went to the uh, mayor of our little hometown mm -hmm. and offered to teach the refugees that were um, sent to our refugee camp to teach them English because here in Eastern Germany, uh, the political right is pretty strong. Uh, mostly yep. inside the minds of people. There are a lot of people uh, chanting things like uh, kill the immigrants and stuff, like really harsh stuff. And I want to, I don't want to be like that. And uh, b back then, our thought process was like, uh, when or if the immigrants and the right-wing people here could at least communicate, um, there was a common ground uh, to reach some agreement or stuff, which looking back of course was an illusion on my side because uh, i again had unnecessary hope here but i still think we did a great job there and uh, we had really interesting people and it was um mind opening at least for us as well because as much as we taught them uh england and uh, german we learned from them about their experiences like one thing i won't ever forget in my life was a guy uh, that broke his leg in Hungary, which is like three and a half thousand kilometers from here. And they came here on foot. So he went multiple thousands of kilometers uh, on foot with a broken leg um, to, to Germany to get to safety. And he didn't even tell us that. We, he was limping all the time a bit and um, we didn't know what was going on. And one day we just asked, asked him and he told us that his leg was broken. And 
he just uh, didn't have the courage to ask us for some medical uh, for some medical help to say the least and of mm -hmm. course we uh, brought him straight to the hospital and he got a cast on his leg and nowadays he's fine but uh, those those people didn't come here for insignificant reasons they didn't no. take those tortures on themselves just as some right-wing people say just to um, get these uh, benefits of the social systems here but they are they are in deep distress and i think we will discuss um, the distress that our material consumption brings to people in other countries in another episode that's a topic mm -hmm. that's close to my heart and well, I, I, just, I do definitely think we uh, definitely have to just do a episode on just refugees in general, right? Because yeah, yeah, sure. I've had experience with uh, South American refugees here in the States. You know, it, it's a whole it's a whole topic that I think we could dive into in a much deeper way and share our personal experiences. Going back to like this socialist tendency within European federalism, uh, with the ideas expressed by Trotsky in particular, right? There is some co continuation to this day. Uh, there's a uh, group operating within the Dutch uh, Socialist Party uh, called Communist Platform. Uh, they have included European federalism within, uh, no, lo a look up Communist Platform in Netherlands, yeah. Uh, and so they've included this in their platform. Uh, and so this is point seven. And it says, communism is impossible on a national basis. The international hierarchy of states rules this out. That is why we in Europe strive to establish a communist party of the EU and to unite the various national parties in a communist international worldwide. Divided by national borders, the working class is powerless against the rule of a capital worldwide. United on a continental and global scale, capital is powerless against us. Also, as communists, we organize solidarity with oppressed people worldwide, and we're against all imperialist wars, and we emphasize the interests of our class everywhere. Um, not really. Uh, so, right, and so it's quite clearly a continuation of, I, I doubt I, these people are probably trots right there's not much i can read about them in english uh but this idea of a pan-european uh proletarian identity continues in a minority form uh within the left uh, within socialist and communist circle and then we have like your more soft left right you have socialist groups like dm25 uh which envision a much more integrated and democratized european union that would essentially be a European Federation on Albany name, right? Uh, and, but, you know, they don't have an explicit federalist uh, uh, part of their program, and so there's not much to say about them other than just our general takes on DM25 itself as an organization. And so, sadly, we must move on from Chad socialism to virgin liberalism. And I've got one more network here uh, that you didn't mention from Germany, if I may. Oh, go! Uh, it's it's uh, in German. It's called Marx 21. Uh, in English, that would translate to Marx 21 uh, for 21st century, which is uh, self-described a Trotskyist net network, also represented in uh, the German party Die Linke. Uh, most famously known is Katja Kipping. Uh, she is uh, 
I'm pretty much a front runner of Yelinka right now, and uh, she unfortunately she had to leave Max 21 in order to uh, get the position on top of uh, Yelinka, and it's also have it's propagating um, essentially the same ideas as the uh, Dutch network you mentioned, mm-hmm. and it goes back clearly to Trotsky and his idea of international socialism. Uh, inspired by uh, Lenin's writings on imperialism and capitalism, stating mm-hmm. that uh, a peaceful socialism and an aggressive, aggressive capitalism never could coexist uh, beside each other. Well, thank you, Asin, for showing us all your information. Um, <laughs> but okay, so yeah, uh, I take that's great. I will now be reading about Marx Twenty One. I haven't heard about them. So sadly, we must move on from Chad socialism, diversion, liberalism, and really that means we're talking about Volt Europa. Uh, I, I debated whether or not to keep them in the good category or move them into bad, right? But I feel like it'd be unfair company with the group I have in the bad section. And so I, I'm going to associate, they're like a lukewarm good, right? So basically, for those who don't know, Volt Europa is like a pan-European Green Party. Other than like European federalism, they have nothing distinct about them. Uh, they caucus with the Greens, uh, and uh, their well, their one MAP caucuses with the Greens uh, and uh, in the EU uh, bodies. And so, really, the one defining issue compared to a, most of the Green parties, and it's not substantial, but it's uh, they believe in the need for a uh, European army. Uh, which is problematic in my view. Uh, cool, we're gonna bring Europe together, and we're gonna be an imperialist block again. Uh, which is how you know we can dress it up in fancy language, but um, I uh, don't see it as being much better than that. Hmm? So that's the coordination between uh, different uh, uh, European um, it's, it's like things. The police, uh, that is. Uh that we put in place to let refugees drown in the Mediterranean Sea. Cool. They had to rename even. Yeah, they pretty, they don't I, even I love it. Anymore. They had to rename Oh, man. Because they got so much, um, yeah. so much hate. Well, that's... Here they are, here they are doing that's, work. So that's going to be oddly <laughs> relevant towards the end of this discussion. Um, <laughs> because it's going to get dark, guys. Uh, and so, like the Greens... Uh, they pay lip service to alleviating poverty through, you know, your basic social democratic reforms. Um, they, on paper, take up socially progressive views, and generally, from my reading of their politics, they kind of have that, you know, more centrist, like uh, technocratic view of governance. Um, so, like I said, they're just the green card, uh, green party, but pan-European. Uh, it's just it, in my view, it's middle class politics through and through. Um, what's y'all's experience? I'm quite negative on Volt Europa, but what's y'all's experience uh, with the group? And uh, if you have any at all, are opposed to European integration in general, they support <laughs> some degree of it, so it's not even like they have that much passion there. I also feel right. this is a, a very strong call out to an earlier version of me. That was into the <laughs> European Greens, uh, which I'm very glad to be passed. So there's that. Uh, with Volt, I like it's almost like I don't want to criticize them because I think that they can be right partner. The particular issue 
uh, right. like European Federation. But I also don't want to take their side very strongly because, <laughs> like you said, I don't like. I'm more or less with you there. I don't mm -hmm. really, I don't really support most of their policies beyond that. So yeah, I I'm gonna stay quiet. On well, no, I think that's perfectly valid, right? We can have criticisms of people we work with, right? And honestly, yeah. if we didn't have criticisms of people we work with, it would be dishonest. Um, cool. Uh, I'm, I'm, Aston, I'm a member of Volt. I help them with their You fucking and I, nerd. And I refuse. <laughs> I cannot talk policy with he's, any of them. He's also the most avid Reddit user, I suspect, in here. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I don't, I just sit here all day at my computer and... That's where I live. Yeah, but no, I help them with their um, with their organization. I don't really... Uh, I can't talk policy with any of them uh, for the obvious reasons. Uh, if I do, <laughs> I talk about world federalism. Uh, right. But that's it. So, yeah, I... Uh, but I, I help. Their policies are crazy. And, and from an organizational level, I can say that they have had their own problem. They've had people leave uh, recently um, publicly. So I'm not revealing any secrets. They left publicly and, and went to Deem 25. Um, uh, and one thing that might be a little bit of a secret is, um, I'll cut it, they had a, but I want to know. I, I mean, it's okay. I don't really care. I don't think this, and if it does, that's even better. They need a little bit of criticism, honestly, to get the fire under their ass. Um, but they had like a local team in Italy that like partnered with a fascist or with what they're calling what? A, a right wing, like a uh, populist or something. Always the same and, with liberals. Yeah. Yikes. And so yeah yikes and so that was like a local team and then like and then they didn't and because the organization is so uh it's very flat and they've always right. been their main thing is like uh just everybody can do everything and we have no roles and let's let's hope this works and it doesn't work at all and so when it came to like uh doing something about this local team that had done that partnered with a fascist group uh, and that's all i know i don't know what team or anything like that or what the partnership looked like um but uh, there was nobody nobody knew who was in charge to do anything about it was it the european level was it the italian level was it the, who what, uh, there was no so their accountability internally and that's more of an organizational thing um but yeah well, also so. you think italians would be better about knowing who's a fascist and whether or not they should operate with them oh that's insane oh my gosh it's, um, it's so, always escape with liberals, and at the day of crisis, they always side with the fascists. I suppose again, it's take time again. This is relevant towards the end of our discussion. Uh, so yeah, it's that's quite bad. Um, but you know, um, I do right. I I want to see a European federation, right? I want to see it along like progressive lines, right? I don't want to see a rival imperial bloc to the United States and China. And I don't want to see like wars for human rights and you know blah blah blah. I, I suppose because you're afraid of us. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, also it, it is kind of funny because you know my experience with the Green Party here in America, they're actually left wing, uh, unlike y'all. So yeah. that's the one thing we're better on is our Green Party is actually decent. Um, it's middle class as fuck, but you know they have decent politics. But uh, our uh, Green Party in Germany you... currently supports uh, cutting down a forest in order to build a new highway, mm -hmm. a new autobahn. So there's that. Well, and then the Green Party in uh, Austria just basically took the rights immigration policies and uh, on refugees and all that. It's, it's seriously like the Green Party in Europe just sucks. Uh, green parties yeah. generally. Uh, and then like 
they'll go in coalition with like conservative parties who are totally against any green policy. Ugh. Oh, I dislike European it, Greens. It's like a feel-good party to people uh, that want to drive a big car without a guilty conscience. To my, in my in my opinion. Uh, so I could talk smack about the Green Party. I could talk smack about Volt probably for a long time. I, but it's I time to, to actually. Yes, go. I want. To, I really want to give here a take on uh, liberalism that I honestly don't think is so bad, um, which is rooted in the. Uh, in in the international politics uh, department of academia, uh, which is that uh, world peace is brought upon us through economic integration across borders. And that's a take I wholeheartedly support. And we, we can take this one and as progressives or socialists, uh, we just have to make this economic integration non-exploitative. Um, so I would push back, right? Uh, there's just generally this idea that, okay, if our countries are economically integrated, we're not going to go to war. It happens, it, it, you know, and, you know, I think Europe's just a special case and it hasn't really happened yet. Um, without, in my mind, a truly, like, left uh, project to go along with globalization, uh, you know, honestly, globalization is just the, the continuation of... Uh, you know, the same market factors that have been, like, Marxists have talked about since Marx, right? Uh, capital is constant. Well, no, just uh, capital itself is get uh, expanding and it's spreading from Britain to Europe to America, right? We live in a truly global capitalist system nowadays. Uh, for a, sure. a long time, even in the 20th century, we had feudal societies, Uh which we'll get into. <laughs> this episode has a lot, um, but I so I push back slightly. But yeah, I I'm not. I think we need maybe alter globalization or whatever terms we want to use. I think is good. Uh, but I, I you know I struggle with the idea that it actually prevents conflict and things like that. But moving on to the b -b 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 bad, I only have one organization, and it happens to be the oldest unification movement in Europe. It was founded. And unfortunately, stuck in 1923. Uh, <laughs> and this is the Pan European Union. Uh, to call it simply conservative is very charitable. Until 2004, it was run by literal fucking aristocrats, including Otto von fucking Habsburg, the former crown prince of the Austro Hungarian Empire. Uh, while they. Oh, yeah, that's awful website. Uh, <laughs> They officially Great. do not endorse any political party, but like the NRA, they just rank politicians on their issues. And their issues are liberal conservatism, right? So they at least moved past the point where, hey, democracy is a good idea. Uh, we shouldn't, you know, wish for the monarchy again. Uh, Christianity, social responsibility, and pro-Europeanism. Uh, this is a highlight from their website. Christianity is the soul of Europe. Our mission is characterized by the Christian image of man and the rule of law. By calling upon European community values, the Pant Europa Union opposes all tendencies which erode the intellectual and moral force of Europe. So the only good thing I could find that they've done is that they supported Solidarność in Poland during the 80s. But so did Reagan, so that doesn't even count. 
right? They've done nothing positive. And they were run by Otto von Habsburg. Like, could you be more of a joke? He uh, retired before, so, you know, they've come a long way. I, you know, well, he it, died, so... These are the people who show up in, like, a history class about European integration. Like, I've studied mm -hmm. this movement, but I, like... I studied them as like the precursors. I didn't even know they still existed. Yes. Which I guess, which I guess is good. No, it's not though. <laughs> Apparently no, they're I actually... Mean, I mean, it's good that I didn't even know they still existed. Yeah. Uh, so they're uh, a bit more popular in France. Uh, you know, they were uh, heavily supported by like De Gaulleists and stuff. And you know, De Gaulle's been pretty much accepted by the right and the left for some fucking reason. Um... And so, it, it it's much more popular in France, and it's currently run by a French dude. Uh, and, you know, it was heavily uh, connected to one of their presidents. Um, but yeah, it just sucks. It's a bad organization, and I hate it. Um, problem is, there's much worse organizations out there, which we're about to get into. Right. And now it's time, time for the ugly. And, ugh. One of the ugliest bastards in pan-European thought is the literal fascists. In 1932, a bewildering figure named Oswald Mosley, may he rest in piss, founded the British Union of Fascists, a.k.a. the Black Shirts. Oswald began his political uh, journey in the Conservative Party. There's no shock there. Before, he walked out over British war crimes in Ireland. Huh? He was right on something. What? <laughs> then he joined the Labour Party. Again. Wow. This is great, right? Ultimately, due to him not being uh, elected and some internal party drama, he left the Labour Party, uh, oh. of which he had a promising career, and he founded a creatively named party, the New Party. Uh, this expressed his uh, generally uh, corporatist ideas, which, as we all know, doesn't end anywhere good and thankfully in the next general elections they got their asses kicked uh as a corporatist party should uh, and as many people who are very pro-business do when they get beaten in a very unfair elections mostly turned into a fascist uh he studied the political systems of italy and germany and he liked them he also uh he liked the intellectuals who were starting to form the phalangists just all around not a good dude and so the black shirts then spent the rest of the decade harassing jewish people and fighting anti-fascists in the streets there's tons of great stories about uh the british union of fascists getting their asses kicked um and particularly uh there's a legendary battle of cable street where three thousand fascists guarded by 6,000 cops, no surprise there, uh, faced off against 20,000 anti-fascists made of trade unionists, socialists, communists, anarchists, and just Jews. Everyone was in on this fight. A, there's famous photos of them just destroying the cops and trying to get at these fascists. And, you know, much like Germany, uh, a lot of the focus... Uh, in the anti-fascist movement was breaking up fascist meetings and what would happen is uh usually the speaker would be on a platform there'd be uh the black shirts which was the milit 
paramilitary arm of the British Union of Fascists. They would try to guard the event and uh, the anti-fascist would just make like a rugby flying V and just crash into like the fascist lines and just destroy them. <laughs> um, and honestly, it's just a rollicking fun time because the British Union of Fascists do not get off light whenever they meet uh, anti-fascist. So, unsurprisingly, when World War II broke out, the BUF and Mosley were shut down and arrested. After the fascist powers were defeated, uh, Mosley began synthesizing his own idea, which he called Europe a Nation. He criticized previous fascist movements for being too narrow-minded and began advocating for a pan-European fascist government run by the Germanic peoples, of course. And by Germanic peoples, he means the Germans, the Dutch, the Northern French, the English, and the Scandinavian. Uh, he respected the contributions the yeah, Latin peoples. <laughs> he uh, respected the contributions the Latin peoples made to uh, uh, European culture, but he viewed the Germanic peoples as the base for European unity. Uh, and so, of course, his ideal state would maintain European colonial possessions. You know, all of Africa is still going to be owned by Europe. Uh, most of Asia as well. Uh, just so, you know, white people can keep uh, exploiting uh, the, the rest of the world. While in Europe, they are committing ethnic cleansing. And it was going to be a black free zone. Oh, and the Jews, well, they're just going to be deported. Um, you know, that worked well in Spain. Uh, so yeah, uh, typical Nazi shit. The, the dude sucks. Um, the, and, uh, he had this view that a European super state along with, uh, uh, the United States and the USSR would form like a triumvirate of powers and they would pretty much split up the world. And he, uh, wanted the dissolution of the UN because of course the UN is a Jewish plot that undermines uh, national identity, right? Um, so, <laughs> after the war... When are you getting th to the ugly part? I am not... Oh. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Yeah. Um, and so, I wonder what he would think about Frontex and stopping yeah, migrants in the sea. You're gonna love it. Um, I, I think he wouldn't be really happy with uh, Frontex, to be honest, because uh, Frontex only wants to... Uh, keep immigrants from entering Europe, but uh, mm. as as you've said, he also wanted to do some ethnic cleansing. And unfortunately, uh, Frontex is in no way occupied with uh, ethnic cleansing in no no uh, Europe so, yet. So he would support yet, uh, but he <laughs> would support Frontex, right? Uh, he believed in a global apartheid system. Uh, explicitly called it oh that. God. And I've never heard uh, those words put together before. That's terrible. Yeah, and so he wanted. He basically advocated ethnic cleansing of black people who were already in Europe and the expulsion of the Jews. Uh, when Nazis talk about expulsion, we all know it actually means camps. You know, they talk about a peaceful ethnic cleansing. It doesn't work mm. that way. Um, so I think Ooh, he'd hundred yeah, percent like. For, the only reason he wouldn't like Frontex is it's not effective enough. You know, it's not the Navy just shooting ships. Uh, and so 
thankfully, you know, this, you know, do you know this is people exterminate. Do you know about this? <laughs> they had to send all the Jews of Europe to Madagascar. Oh, yeah. and let yeah. them, like it was the uh, the other solution, except for creating the state state of Israel. And uh, the mm. what's really uh, shaking up my mind here is uh, that. Uh, there were talks of uh, Winston Churchill and Adolf Hitler back then about how to ship uh, the Jews potentially to Madagascar. Yeah, because, spoiler alert, Winston Churchill's also a genocidal motherfucker yeah, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't like Jews. Like, it's, actually, it's like uh, Lenin always stated about uh, the uh, connection between capitalism and imperialism and mm. into the in the... We don't have to talk anti-Semitism here and uh, how it's uh, how it's not the same as uh, racism, I think. But um, oh, in order I disagree. to okay, uh, um, we can do a different episode start of that. this discussion at that point. We can have this one uh, maybe later. But yeah. uh, the thing I want to say: if uh, the Germanic people um, should take the lead in Europe and in the world, uh, in the end. Uh, there can't be the Jews that are uh, percepted as an even higher being, like an even higher threat. And uh, that's why um, even Churchill and his deeply rooted anti-Semitism uh, vote or rooted for um, getting the Jews out of Europe. Well, also, you know, of course, the Germanic peoples have to run Europe because those lazy Southern Amer or Southern Europeans, you know, they don't do work. Um, so... Of course, I you know. I took an hour long nap today, so he was right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, so. it's 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 real. It's but it's real. Like uh, mm -hmm. I I don't get this uh, ethic uh, in Germany. Like you have to work all the time. Like in the end, we are overproductive anyway. We're uh, taking in much more resources than our Earth can provide for us. So we have to step that out from. From... It's that Protestant work ethic, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah those yeah, Lutherans yeah. really ha fucked us. Hello, up. Mr. Schumpeter. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I but say we uh, the, about the thing um, <laughs> I say this as a German, but the thing about life is stepping down and letting uh, the sun shine on your belly and not working all day. And I, I don't get it why we can't uh, integrate this uh, type of culture from uh, the southern European countries into our own. <laughs> what oh, is yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm down too. Let's all be like Spain. I'm down. Um, nah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to idolize anyone here. But uh, you, you know, um, I idolize the weather at least. Goddamn. Yeah, same. <laughs> or just to go look at the Mediterranean. Anyways, yeah. thankfully. After the war, you know, Mosley remained a marginal figure within British politics. He tried to find, found a couple other groups, didn't really go anywhere. Um, and he remained kind of marginal within the uh, fascist movement. The fascist movement moved on. Um, it Primarily to, in Britain. Margaret Thatcher. Well, yes. But <laughs> primarily in the immediate aftermath of the war, uh, the fascist rallied around defending the empire right and uh opposing a decolonization and all that fun stuff um uh, and his uh perverted internationalist fascism uh just didn't catch on but it became a undercurrent within uh various fascist movements and over the last decade we've seen a real growth in neo-nazi and fascist networks um 
These networks share ideas, training, funds, and manpower to undermine democracies and inspire terror attacks around the world. In a jokey kind of version, you have Federation Europa, which calls for Euro nationalism for people, nation, and federation. Um, they seem to be mostly online. Uh, they have like three followers on Gab, right? Super small. But uh, what's they have much an Instagram, more. A private Instagram that I got into, I followed them uh, because I'm a big supporter. And uh, <laughs> so I follow them. I I tried to get into their. Uh, I got into their private Instagram because they said something on a. They said something questionable, and I wanted to see what they were really saying behind the private mm. the, the wall. And, well, spill. Uh, uh, it's. I mean, I can pull it up, but uh, it's a lot of. It's a lot of this gab content. Um, uh -huh. I will say it's. It is clearly run by a German. Um, mm. I've as everything as it should be as everything in Europe. <laughs> Where's the yeah. European Central Bank? Can anybody tell me? Man, that's Frankfurt. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, those anyway. cultural Marxists. <laughs> but no, I just want to say that uh, this uh, this for people, nation, and federation, we people, nation, sometimes it even says one nation for people. Mm -hmm. oh, there, it's really clever not saying one nation. This is good, though. We Europeans are no puppies, no dogs. We are wolves. That's also pretty oh. cool. The animal. And uh, it's really pretty. Uh, we'll I'm get a little hard right now. Um, I'll get into this, right? Um, a lot of these guys, and it's mostly guys, inhabit like the manosphere part of the internet. And so they're obsessed with betas and alphas and all that. Oh, but yeah. A, men going their own way. This is men going their own way. And they also organize MMA clubs. And that's how they organize and they get susceptible young men in and that's how they train uh a more worrying group who's not just a meme uh is uh the azov battalion in uh the ukraine why did i say the ukraine i, f I sound like cnn ukraine right. uh, <laughs> uh so in ukraine, azov, so out that's really bad azov <laughs> battalion for those who don't know is a neo-nazi uh battalion within the uh Ukrainian National Guard uh, that was raised as a militia and during the uh, war with Russia over uh, Donetsk and the Crimea and all those fun stuff, um, they they were nationalized and they also have a political party in, uh, in Ukraine. Well, so in about 2014, 2015, uh, right when they're starting to get very uh, big internationally, they started developing these international contacts. Um, they connected with neighboring far-right parties. They helped found one in, uh, I want to say, Slovakia. I'm not sure. They also developed connections with a little-known group here in the United States called Adam Waffen Division. Oh, really? If you're not aware of Adam Waffen, uh, they believe in, as their name implies, that America needs a race war. And the weapons that are going to be used are atom bombs, right? Uh, they're a accelerationist terrorist tendency. They've engaged in several murders. Uh, the government thankfully cracked down. But the media started reporting on this and they started rightfully calling Azov Nazis. And so they've started backpedal on it and they, uh, they, uh, they have at least taken their international, uh, conversations much more private uh so it, i don't know how much it's uh you could say they're active in organizing 
the far right internationally now, but they were a big role in uh, giving, getting money uh, to other groups, uh, you know, training other groups in uh, Ukraine. And so it's, and right sector is another Ukrainian party of which they're heavily associated with. Um, it's thankfully, you know, they are a marginal group within Ukraine, although they have, you know, street thugs. Uh, they have just tons of young men joint flocking to them just because they're kind of cool, right? Um, we have, and this is a scary tendency, right? One of the weaknesses of fascists, right, is that they do organize nationally. And, uh, you know, this happened a lot with, like, the French fascists, like Maras, who's kind of a proto-fascist. But, like, he hated the Nazis, not because they're Nazis, but because they're Germans, right? Uh, this happened in the very beginning of uh, the, the Falangist movement in that there was some hesitancy of adapting Italian fascism because Spain had its own totalitarian legacy of Isabel and Ferdinand. Uh, and so there's always this hesitancy to adopt these foreign ideas, right? And that, that's sa sadly kind of breaking down, uh, I, I think. And it legitimately terrifies me, the idea of like a more internationally conscious fascist movement. One that, hey, we're all white, right? And, oh, <laughs> you know, well, except the Jews, right? But we can just uh, defend yeah, European culture, Western chauvinists. That scares me uh, to a much broader extent than just like uh, straight up nationalists or white nationalists even. It's that, uh, yeah, it's that global potential to really strike uh, that terrifies me. And, you know, this has been remarked upon a lot. But these groups inspire stochastic terrorists, right? Uh, they believe they, uh, while they have these organizations, they foster a leaderless resistance as well, um, and encourage lone wolf attacks, and they cheer them on in their chats. Uh, so yeah, uh, Azov Battalion are neo Nazis, and they should be a terrorist organization. I don't care what different organizations say on the internet. Uh, and it's a very worrying tendency. Uh, yeah. So, what are your guys' thoughts? Well, I can just talk about Germany here again, um, as I should be, of course. Uh, <laughs> we have we had a couple, like I think it was like fourteen um, attacks on immigrants, uh, and mm -hmm. it was uh, perpetrated, or they were perpetrated by a group. Uh, that called themselves NSU or National Socialist Underground. Um, right. The the um, the trial has been going on for a while, and the last remaining head of the group um, has been convicted and is now in jail uh, of, for obvious reasons. Well, that's um, new for Germany. Usually, we have to convict them. Uh, <laughs> and at <laughs> least it was like that, like seventy years ago. <laughs> uh, but now we can do it on our own. Uh, the problem here is uh, that the that the undercurrent that is needed to perpetrate uh, fascist attacks on on foreign or so-called foreign people, because um, mm -hmm. there were people attacked that were like uh, second or third generation in Germany, um, so they were 
as we as we like to say they were well integrated and they had jobs and stuff and so they mm. were good immigrants to say it like that in um right more model minorities terminology. Hmm? the model minorities like yeah yeah um, uh, the problem here is, um, I think I, I posted uh, this uh, screenshot of uh, the head of our Verfassungsschutz, uh, the like the um, protect uh, protection agency of the Constitution, um, where he, um, yeah, he he was not really uh, the guy to condemn fascist attacks. He's a pretty strong right winger as well, and even mm -hmm. now uh, we have. Uh, there are weapons missing from our military and from our yep. police, and um, most likely they are uh, they ended up in some fascist terrorist organizations, which which still exist in Germany as well. And mm -hmm. it's a pretty concerning situation, to be honest, because uh, well, we we have we have weaponized fascist militias inside Germany again, and yeah. they are. Uh, decentralized they are ready to attack they hold uh, education camps which mostly consists uh, of training on in weapon handling and uh, martial arts uh, like fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat and I don't know I'm as a person I'm not ready to fight someone that is that had some training uh, on how to kill other people and yeah. it's those guys in in the day of the, uh, let's call it ultimate crisis, on the day where um, the fate of the future will be decided, um, it's those fascist militias uh, that are weaponized through the means of the German state um, that anti-fascists as a loose, it's not an organization. I can't I can stress this mm -hmm. enough in the light of recent events. But it's uh, people that uh, hold some humanistic values close to their heart. Um, and it's those fascist militias that we'll have to fight. And it's honestly, it's a pretty distressing situation. Yeah. And it's hard to trust the state to do it for us, right? Yeah, we, they won't. We see because... continuously that if they don't turn up, if they're complicit in turning a blind eye, or they're just downright in with them. Like how many times it, co it comes out like every couple of months there's another like german cop who has ties to like a neo-nazi group it's he's just uh, a it's like they it's like the always calls him a lone wolf like every time it's yeah, yeah it's a bad every, apple every time it's a bad uh, apple um so here in the, the states you know, murders, they thought it was the police and the media always framed it as uh uh what was it don't donor donor murders yeah uh, here in the states no, no, no. Here in the, with the NSU, so they always okay. said, said that it was like clan crime or gang crime. Ah, so these were like uh, they were framed as because these were like uh, Turkish German immigrants, really. A lot mm. of them, a lot of the victims, not all of them. Uh, so they they thought that the media blamed it on gangs for a long time, and they didn't. See yeah, it. on on Arab gangs mostly. Yeah, and so they <laughs> called them like the donor. Uh, murders mm. and something. Yeah, something uh, like Duna is uh, the word for kebab for our more international uh, audience, maybe. I I'm just I I just don't know how you guys get around uh, those no go zones with all those Arab street gangs. You know, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. But no, I, uh, I live in the most a, dangerous neighborhood in Berlin, actually in Germany. I was told oh. that I asked my girlfriend. I was like, "Where's the most dangerous neighborhood in Germany?" She said, it's Neukölln. We live here. It's our neighborhood. <laughs> I was like, really? Uh, so 
<laughs> I, uh, on a more serious note, uh, here in the States, you know, we've had this problem ongoing since uh, the 60s, particular. Well, we've since the Civil War, you know, we've had the Klan. Uh, here in my city, uh, we had, you know, over 300 black people murdered in the Tulsa race massacre. Uh, we, uh, the Klan infiltrated our city. They marched through our streets. And we, we had one good governor who decided to wage war on the Klan. Uh, and he uh, was promptly impeached. Uh, he was, it, it was insane. And then the Klan bragged about it for years later. We, uh, we took out a governor. Uh, and it's and then further on after the civil rights movement, they a, a lot of white supremacist groups resorted and they went underground and they resorted to terrorism. And particularly the order orchestrated bank robberies in order to fund uh, their uh, operations. That and white supremacist infiltration of the military is extremely uh, pervasive. And so military arms and rocket launchers we know are in the hands of white supremacists we just don't know who um and so that we know all this stuff's out there and it it's just a matter of time before someone just goes off with it you know we have these these kids like uh Kyle Rittenhouse or uh the uh you know the uh tree of life shooter and you know we have all these people who just engage in these terrorist acts but I, I really fear an organized version of it. Thankfully, in right-wing uh, militant groups, you shake a stick, you hit a Fed. Uh, they they're pretty heavily infiltrated. Uh, you know they they learned how to do that from targeting leftists uh, and murdering us. So you know you know at least it's they're hitting their own boys for once. Um, but yeah, it's generally a terrifying thing to consider and at least here in the united states we can arm ourselves and practice community defense not that i particularly uh glorify that or anything but at least it's like if the fascists are marching in my neighborhood i at least know i'm safe or my community's safe you know that's something because here the cops will side with them that's it's not up for question we uh had uh just Black Lives Matter protests here, and you know we got pepper sprayed, and uh, we uh, we got hit by a car, like car a truck ran through our crowds, uh, and we saw this extreme fascist violence, and the police didn't really react. The police let that truck through, uh, and then a w week later, uh, you know Trump and the right wing have these huge rallies all throughout our town, and. When a, a small picket of five people stand outside of the uh, Trump rally, the National Guard loads their weapons with rubber bullets, right? It's just, yeah, it, it's bad. Uh, so I think we'll end the, this episode on a cheery note. You'll find all our plugs in the <laughs> show notes. Uh, and remember to... Cheery note, we're all going to die. The fascists yeah. are going to kill us. Okay. Remember, <laughs> remember to keep the faith and remember our goals most moderate are we only want the earth goodbye bye bye, bye.